This week, we discuss homophobia in the cannabis industry, international travel for drag queens, and how the gay community pioneered medical cannabis in California. Coming up next on Critical Grass. Get it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical Grass. It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in thing. The hula hoop of the jet generation. And as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Critical grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts. Critical grass. My name is Jay Jackson, also known as Laganja Astranja, and I'm originally from Dallas, Texas, but I now reside in sunny Los Angeles, California, and I am a female impersonator, choreographer, and cannabis activist. That fabulous dancey beat was brought to you by The Czar and is part of a track titled Spree Park Runway, with an emphasis on the runway. No, we are not talking cars this week, though the word drag race did come up in our conversation. This week's guest is none other than Jay Jackson, who also goes by the very catchy stage name of Laganja Estranja, the world-renowned female illusionist, choreographer, music artist, cannabis advocate, and LGBTQ plus icon. A U.S. presidential scholar in the arts, Jackson got his Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in dance and choreography from the California Institute of the Arts and rose to fame after his performance on season six of RuPaul's Drag Race. His TV and film credits include Heidi Klum's Queen of Drags, So You Think You Can Dance, the Latin American Music Awards, Germany's Next Top Model, Bong Appetit, America's Got Talent, RuPaul's Green Screen Christmas, Skin Wars, the MTV Video Music Awards, as well as the American Music Awards. He has also graced the covers of High Times, Dope, Hot Pot, and New York Magazine. Prior to COVID-19, he regularly performed at festivals and events around the globe, having traveled to 14 countries across five continents, and he has graced the runways of the Melange Brazil Fashion Show in Rio and Marco Marco in LA and New York. His choreography credits include the NYC Cosmetics Face Awards, Brooke Candy, and Miley Cyrus. In 2016, he founded Laganja's Dance School, an international high heels masterclass and confidence workshop held in dozens of cities across Europe, Central America, South America, and the U.S. He's known for his iconic dance move, The Death Drop, which you should definitely check out if you haven't had the chance to do so already. Now, that's quite an impressive resume, but of course, I was curious as to how he discovered the wonders of cannabis before he got into drag racing. 
So I was first introduced to cannabis by my friend Lauren Glenn. We were in high school, so I was in Dallas at the time. And I was going to Booker T. Washington, which is an incredible arts magnet school for dance. And I was a senior in high school, and we were preparing for what is known as Presidential Scholar of the Arts. And it is a very prestigious uh, award to receive for um, many different genres of arts, but there's only 20 in the United States. So basically, my friend Lauren was like, we should get high before rehearsal. It'll help you choreograph. So we did. After um, so, you know, school would end, we would get in her Jeep and drive around, pick up a junior bacon cheeseburger from Jack in the Box, and smoke our joint and go back to rehearsal. And um, it was an incredible, you know, eye-opening experience to be introduced to the plant in that way. You know, even though it was recreational, it still was medicinal in the way that I was looking at it because it was to help me find my creativity as an artist. Now, uh, I actually did go on to become a presidential scholar in the arts and perform my work at the Kennedy Center. And it's pretty cool that cannabis directly helped me achieve this award at such a young age because I think it really showed me right away, like, okay, not everything everyone says about this plant is true. At the time, George W. Bush was the president, so I don't think he gave two shits about my pink triangle. So when I was becoming a drag queen... I felt like it was really important that I have a platform. Being from Texas, I have this idea that any kind of beauty pageant or any kind of queen should have a, a platform that's bigger than themselves that they can stand on. So I chose cannabis because it really became integral in my life during college. In college, I was injured while doing a dance piece. I hurt my back. And it was actually my chiropractor that suggested that I began to medicate for the pain with cannabis. So that kind of really shifted the way I viewed the plant. As I said before, I knew it was medicinal, but I didn't really know. It wasn't until I actually had a doctor, I started taking it serious, using different strains for different ailments, that I realized, you know, how much this could be a life changer for me as someone who grew up on antidepressants, things to help, you know, with sleeping and eating, regulating those cycles. So this plant did all that for me in one. Um, so when I became a drag queen, I, I decided, I, I, I rightfully chose that this would be my path. Now, I had no idea it would look the way it looks now. I had no idea people would wait in line for me one day with free cannabis. I mean, that's incredible. But that wasn't the goal of becoming Laganja Strangia. The goal was truly to, you know, change the stigma out there of what it means to be a successful stoner. During the days of the George W. Bush presidency, the stigma around cannabis was much more severe than it is today, so kudos to Jay for being vocal about his love for the plant, even at a time when selling bongs online could land you in prison, as happened to Tommy Chong. This was also a time, for those of you too young to remember, where being gay in America still hadn't been fully accepted in the mainstream, as evidenced by the presidential campaign of 2004, where gay marriage became a hot-button issue, hence the pink triangle reference. So Jay had to deal with the social stigma of both cannabis and being gay at a time where conservative sentiment dominated the political field. Not an easy task any way you slice it, but he showed a ton of courage by soldiering on and following his passion and not apologizing for it. So where did the stage name of Laganja Estranja come from? It's hard to pinpoint. Everyone always asks me this question, so I sort of have an answer I tell people. I can't tell you if that's the real truth of the, the of the way because it was so long ago. But um, you know, I had a friend in college who who did drag, and his name was Marquita Velveeta. So I loved how his name rhymed, and I loved how his name was Marcus, and Marquita was sort of like a pun for his name. 
So I think I just took those concepts from him, right? The idea of a rhyme scheme and the idea of the word meaning more than one thing. So for me, Laganja, I don't know exactly where that word come from. My sister swears that it's because she had a car called a Daewoo lasagna and she used to call it her Laganja. So maybe that's where I got the term. I'm not for sure. But Astranja comes from uh, the Vogue and ballroom culture of the 1970s and 80s, specifically those people of color, black, trans brothers and sisters. And they would say estranger, which meant to elongate and work the runway. So I kind of took that word and flipped it a little bit so that it would rhyme to get Laganja Estranja. A very catchy name, I must say, even though the word ganja isn't used a whole lot in American English, so many people might not get that reference initially. Now, the term ganja comes from Sanskrit, the primary liturgical language of Hinduism, and simply means hemp. However, Indian immigrants to Jamaica in the mid-19th century also brought cannabis culture with them, which is why the term is regularly used among Rastafarians. But hey, if it takes a drag queen to repopularize the word among today's youth, then I'm all for it. Learning linguistics and fighting stereotypes at the same time has never been more exciting. However, one thing did catch my attention when watching one of Laganja's TV auditions, specifically when she dropped the Laganja part of her name and used Ms. Estranja instead on So You Think You Can Dance. Jay explains the rationale behind this decision. Well, being that I've done television, I've gotten quite used to the fact that most companies, while they may be okay with cannabis, do not really want to promote that on their television shows. So I chose to take the name Miss Estranja when competing on So You Think You Could Dance so that my talent could really be seen and so that I could continue the competition. Now, they never asked me to change my name. They never said anything to insinuate that even it would be an issue. But I didn't want to take the risk. I wanted to be sure that my dance abilities were shown, and I did not want a silly little name to stop that. So I chose to, you know, alter my name a bit, but still keep the brand. Despite legalization in California and the attitudes of the general public throughout the country, cannabis is still somewhat taboo in mainstream media. So in order to avoid any controversy around the name Laganja, Jay took one for the team and decided to focus on his performance instead, which admittedly I find a little bit disappointing because there's nothing more fun than making old conservative white TV executives uncomfortable, but I'm sure there have been plenty more opportunities for Jay to do just that. Now, some of you might be asking, why is a drag queen so cuckoo for cannabis? Well, there's actually a few good reasons for it, as Jay explains. Cannabis has helped me in numerous ways. First, it really helps me regulate my sleeping and eating cycles. I've always had an issue with both of those. So that for me is number one. Cannabis is also a great antidepressant. So I'm able to use it to stabilize my moods and really regulate myself in general. Um, cannabis has also you know, helped me specifically during the pandemic, because it's uh, employed me. You know, I've been working for cannabis companies, promoting different products, you know, getting information out about these sort of companies. So, you know, I wouldn't even be able to pay my rent right now if it wasn't for cannabis. So cannabis has truly been an all around lifesaver for me. I am a very physical performer. I'm known for my high energy, my stunts, my shows, my shenanigans. So I definitely do uh, get injured unfortunately, but there is always a good CBD rub that I can put on my knees. And, you know, there's always something cannabis related that will fix the ailment I receive. I would say I'm pretty much medicated 24 seven. 
Like so many other professionals, Jay takes full advantage of the laundry list of health benefits cannabis provides, and quite frankly, it's not really surprising considering how demanding being a performer can be, physical injuries included. It's not all fun and games, there is a ton of preparation involved, and occasionally things do go wrong, so you might need a little something to help take the edge off when the pressure is on. Now, being a successful performer in Hollywood, in particular a drag queen who promotes smoking copious amounts of ganja, you'd think that sexuality and sexual orientation would be a non-issue at this point, particularly among the cannabis tribe. However, homophobia in the cannabis industry is still a thing, despite all the progress that's been made with respect to LGBT rights and cannabis legalization in California. Jay tells us about the difficulties he's faced in the cannabis industry. Yes, I have definitely faced homophobia within the industry. Um, I think it's predominantly because most cannabis businesses, especially now that we've gone recreational, are being taken over by big businesses. And usually the people who are in charge of big businesses are, you know, rich, old, older white men who may or may not even have ever been a part of this community. And I think that's the real issue at hand here is that the people who are leading the movement are not the people who started the movement because the movement specifically in California was actually started by the LGBTQ AI plus community. In fact, that's why it was known as the compassionate act because it was actually my brothers and sisters being compassionate to those who were dealing with HIV and AIDS. So, Mm -hmm. For me, it's been interesting to see this homophobia when I know that if it wasn't for my people, they wouldn't even have these companies to be uh, marginalizing us with. So it is something that I deal with. It is uncomfortable, but I learned very, you know, right away that being an activist is uncomfortable and that if I really cared about this plant, I was going to have to not ignore my feelings, but I was going to have to put my feelings, my personal feelings to the side because ultimately I chose this platform because it's bigger than myself. When something's bigger than yourself, you have to kind of uh, limit how much your emotions affect you because in the beginning, I'll be honest, I was so embarrassed. You know, I got booed off stage when I performed at my first cannabis cup. So it's definitely been difficult, but I've had so many incredible people, specifically women, who have really opened their arms and helped create a safe space for me and for Laganja to exist. Some names that come to mind when you think of old white dudes who were never part of the cannabis movement that are now reaping the benefits of legalized pot are former Canadian Prime Minister Mick Muldowney and former U.S. Speaker of the House John Boehner, both of whom were very vocal opponents to cannabis in all its forms, with Muldowney equating cannabis with heroin, and Boehner stating at one point he was unalterably opposed to cannabis legalization. Oh, how becoming an executive board member of a cannabis company can quickly change your stance on the matter. I'm sure they did this out of the pure goodness of their hearts and not for personal enrichment. Now, Jay also mentions how the cannabis legalization movement in California was started by the LGBT community, and this is something that doesn't get highlighted enough when discussing cannabis legalization in the U.S. When the AIDS-HIV epidemic began in the 1980s, the Reagan administration didn't take it very seriously, and even jokingly referred to it as the gay plague. Over the course of the next 20 years, 450,000 Americans died of the virus, and over 1 million were infected. Although cannabis isn't a cure for AIDS or HIV, at the very minimum, it could have been used by AIDS patients for things like stimulating appetite, easing nausea, boosting mood and acting as an antidepressant, reducing pain and peripheral neuropathy. 
Generally speaking, it could have reduced the suffering and improved the quality of life for hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people suffering from the disease throughout the country. Now, one of the early pioneers of cannabis legalization in California and the father of the medical marijuana movement was the late Dennis Perone, a Vietnam veteran who ended up moving to San Francisco where he sold cannabis from storefronts in the Castro District and advocated for medical cannabis after seeing AIDS patients benefit from its use. In 1991, he organized for the passage of Proposition P, a resolution calling on the state government to allow for medical marijuana. In 1996, he co-authored California's Proposition 215, or the Compassionate Use Act, which permitted the use of medical cannabis despite its lack of testing for safety and efficacy by the Food and Drug Administration. Thanks to Prop 215, people finally started to take medical cannabis seriously, and now we have 33 states plus Washington, D.C. that have medical cannabis laws on the books with more on the way. Not bad for a gay hippie outlaw, wouldn't you say? But getting back to the issue of homophobia in the cannabis community, what does it look like in today's world? You know, when you look at businesses, you look at their staff, you know, if there's not a lot of variation, not only of sexual orientation, but also race, that's a pretty good indicator of what type of company they are. At least for me, what I've found now that I've done my research, most companies that are creating safe products, that are getting tested regular, that are compliant, that are um, aware of what's going on in 2020, do have a diverse staff are employing influencers of color, you know, are aware of what's going on. However, I don't think that those companies or those dispensaries are the big giant global ones that are, you know, now spreading throughout all the states. And these are more of your smaller local stores where there can really be a critical eye and maintain an integrity for the plant. So I think you know, homophobia, it just looks different in, in, in all ways. Like I said, I think it's as simple as hiring influencers that are gay. You know, I don't think we see that from a lot of these big companies at all. You know, during Pride Month, did they do anything for, you know, the LGBTQ community? And if they did, was it just slapping a rainbow on their product and donating to Trevor Month, to Trevor Project for that one month? Like how, you know, so that, that's, that's another question is like, well, what is homophobia, right? Like, how does that, how does that break down? So I think, yeah, it, it looks in many, many different ways. But of course, the one that's been the most impactful is the physical reactions of people when they even see me in their space. For a state that is allegedly the most progressive in the country, it's still shocking to learn that many Californians can't wrap their heads around drag queens in the cannabis space. You'd think that the plant's entheogenic effects would help people be more accepting of and empathetic towards people of all stripes, especially the rainbow kind. Now, Laganja's website does mention collaboration with some cannabis companies, so I was curious as to how they approached cooperating with someone like her. Yeah, I think you'd just be shocked to see that there aren't really a lot, which kind of goes back to your question about, well, how does homophobia look like? Well, here it is, my love. I'm the largest LGBTQAI plus cannabis icon, and I've yet to be hired by biz big businesses. So, you know, the incredible companies that I have worked for, Moose Labs, I'm absolutely obsessed in fact, they saved my life during quarantine and helped me pay rent when all things went down. So I'm very thankful, not only because I, you know, love their product, but because they really supported me and they really care about not only, you know, the LGBTQ community, but also the black community. So I've loved working with them. Um, who else have I worked with that I want to list? I mean, 
that's what I'm saying. It's it's pretty sad. You know, I my girlfriends are employed weekly to to be posting. There's dispensaries that have them on month retainers. Um, but you know, I've yet to see that. And and yes, I I've got other people in my mind now that I'm like, oh, I could list them and I could list them. But when you book me one time, you're not really committed to me or my community. You're committed to the quick buck and to to saying, oh, well, look, we did this thing for gay people once. So that's kind of really how I feel. I don't feel like a lot of companies have truly taken what I've given them and taken what I've been able to share with my community as something that's important. I think a lot of companies now look for how much of our product did you push? And I've always said that about me. You know, I'm a, I'm someone who creates brand awareness. I'm not necessarily going to sell your brand off the shelf. Um, and I think, unfortunately, businesses are more interested in that right now. They're not interested in actually spreading the education to my community, the community that really needs this plant. They're more interested in getting their dollars. So I think until we sort of figure out how to, like I said, spread more education about this plant and destigmatize everything around it, uh, we're going to keep running into this issue. So sadly, once again, we see profits taking precedent over people, and the cannabis space is not immune to this, unfortunately. But is this a two-way street as far as the LGBT issue is concerned? We see that there's homophobia in the cannabis space, but is there canophobia among certain members of the LGBT community? No, most gay people smoke pot. It's just a fact. I hate to break it to you. That's why I'm like, these companies are so dumb. Most gay people have PTSD from growing up and not being the same as their neighbors. So they are much more likely to turn to a alternative medication like cannabis. So, you know, I've no, mostly been judged by straight people for smoking weed. I mean, it's just the truth. Gay people, like I said, are already on the outskirts. So they're much more willing to join this community and not feel so uh, like judged by it, I guess. Considering how much cannabis has helped the LGBT community in terms of dealing with AIDS and HIV, you'd have to be pretty ignorant to be a member of this community and still come out against something that has eased suffering and provided relief to the many members of your tribe. So there still is an uphill battle to fight for our LGBT plus brethren in the cannabis space, but at least some progress has been made. Now, despite the low number of collaborations with the big brands in the cannabis industry, Lagancha has powered on and continues to promote herself with her very own lifestyle brand, including a line of pre-roll joints celebrating LGBT pride. Well, I've had a lifestyle brand since I was first seen on RuPaul's Drag Race back in 2013. So I've done many different things. I've had a jewelry line. I've had a dog clothing line. I've had my own merch line. I've sold cannabis products. Uh, so my goal is to have an empire. You know, I want to have a book, a perfume. I want to have my own TV show. I want to have my own production company. So these are all just um, ways in which I'm trying to grow. And that's why I list it as a lifestyle brand, because even though right now, currently I'm not selling anything, I don't have merch. I'm not pumping out any products. It is always still there because the those possibilities are the what I want to explore with my life. So when I launched my joints with the Hepburns, we called our collaboration La Hepburns. They were sold um, throughout California, mainly in San Francisco and here in Los Angeles at MedMen. Um, that was our big dispensary where we, were, we did our first drop. I was in drag. We had a meet and greet. People came to the dispensary to meet me to buy the product. 
And that was all really incredible and amazing. But unfortunately, when we went recreational, that killed Hepburn's business um, because they were a small business. And unfortunately, that meant that our collaboration was no longer in existence. So um, I'll be very honest with you. I was really scarred by the whole process. It was a very intense thing to get our own well, to get our own collaboration up on its feet and in dispensaries and then to keep it stocked. Um, and so when that happened, it just made me, well, made me really sad because we'd worked so hard on that. So at this point, I'm waiting to partner with a company that is, uh, you know, fully capable of producing what I'm looking for now. So I would like to move into wax. I am known for dabbing. That's how I medicate. So uh, I would really love to have my own, you know, line of wax as well as my own rig, like my friend Adam Ill, who just launched his own rig with Focus V. So, yeah, I'm definitely trying to, to go in that direction. If you can't join them, beat them at their own game. Well, those are some pretty ambitious plans there to start a little empire, but hey, ain't nothing wrong with having a dream and trying to fulfill it, especially if it's cannabis. Now, given the current situation in the world with COVID-19 and the cannabis industry's ability to be deemed an essential service, I was curious about Laganja's activity and whether she's been impacted in any significant way. Absolutely. I mean, it's affected me greatly, but it's also been for the better because I am the type of person I am. I always see the positive side. And... Um, Basically, the way it's affected me is I, I usually perform in nightclubs. So I'm usually traveling the world, doing master classes where I have people come into the dance studio and I teach them to dance for an hour and how to work in high heels. Um, so I'm very you know, involved with a lot of other people. So, you know, clearly because of COVID, that's not been the case. But for me, what's been so amazing is that I really had time as an artist to be creative again. So much of my job became about rinsing and repeating, doing the job, showing up to the gig, you know, performing my number, taking the makeup off, getting back on a plane, flying home, taking care of my friends, getting back on a plane, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Whereas quarantine has been so much more about, you know, how can I turn my backyard into a circus for my original play that I just wrote? Or how can I, you know, create this photography, this piece of artwork with $5? So it's really forced me to go outside of the, the lines and to, to draw outside of the box. And um, that's why I became an artist in the first place. So for me, it's been a real centering time. I've been very grateful to have my health, to have the health of my family and friends around me. And I'm just enjoying it because I get to sit back and smoke pot all the time. So, hey, I mean, I love it. Not the worst situation in the world to be in, especially if you have legal cannabis at your fingertips, though it is a bit of a change from the glitz and glamour of showbiz life. Well, with cannabis being such a significant part of Laganja's life wherever she goes, and she has done a fair amount of globetrotting, I was curious about what traveling as a cannabis-promoting drag queen is like, and whether she has had any interesting run-ins with the law. Yes, I unfortunately was caught with cannabis in Los Angeles coming back from Mexico, and what that meant was they took all the cash I had on me at the time, which was over $1,000. I had just gotten paid for the gig that I completed in Mexico. And they also placed me on a list, which they call the blue light list. And what this meant was every time I flew international, I would be searched before and after. So, yes, I kissed carrying pot goodbye long ago. And as far as the stigma goes in other places – 
I would say, yes, it does exist. However, I am not aware of it because I am being brought in as Laganja Ashtanja. They know the deal. They know I want pot. So usually nine times out of 10, when I land, if they don't have it already ready for me, we're on our way to go and get it. So I'm very lucky that my openness about my love for the plant has been received with such open arms. Now, I have gone to countries where cannabis is extremely illegal and very hard to get. Um, but I'll be honest, I've been able to get cannabis there too. So I'm just really lucky. I'm one of the chosen ones um, just doing God's work. So luckily, God continues to give me the medication wherever I go. But um, it definitely does come with its, its issues. You know, people definitely do look at me like a drug addict in other parts of the world. Um, and I'm sure right even here in my backyard as well. So cannabis stigma is hard to shake off no matter where you are and regardless of its legal status. But it's not all doom and gloom. Some places have been surprisingly welcoming for Laganja. Probably my most exciting airport experience would be in Peru. Um, I was the first drag queen from RuPaul's Drag Race to go there, let alone the first drag queen to be celebrated in such a way. And so when I landed at the airport, it, it was like a scene out of a movie. There was there was totally what I call my buds or my fans, but I prefer buds because I think fans is demeaning and I really do view them as my friends. So uh, I had tons of buds there waiting and that, that was just a unbelievable moment. I never thought as a drag queen I would be greeted at the airport by supporters. So it was a pretty pretty phenomenal experience. And then I would say on the flip side, someplace I was surprised about was Brazil. I thought Brazil being, you know, so tropical and it being so known for its hypersexualization of culture and love and art. And it was very difficult to find and very difficult um, once I found it to smoke anywhere because it is so, you know, such an illegal thing. Hearing about Laganja's experience in Brazil is rather surprising, especially considering the country's love for dance, music, and art, and for being sexually open, relatively speaking. It's no Saudi Arabia, though the current Bolsonaro regime isn't exactly a friend of the LGBT community. However, the Bolsonaro government will also disappear one day, so one shouldn't lose hope. Now, speaking of Saudi, would Laganja ever consider performing there or in a similar ultra-conservative place despite their attitudes towards drag queens and cannabis? I mean, honestly, you know, the, the, the greatest thing about travel is it really does open your mind and, for me, your heart. So uh, I, it's not someplace I'm, you know, just dying to go see tomorrow. But However, I would be thrilled at the opportunity to take drag to Saudi Arabia. I mean, I really do feel, like I said, that I'm doing the work of my brothers and sisters who came before me. And so, you know, that's why it was important to me to go to Peru. That's why it was important for me to go to Bogota, Colombia, to go to these places and, and really spread this art form and my love of cannabis. So, you know, hit me up, Saudi Arabia. I'm ready. I wouldn't hold my breath for Saudi Arabia to open up to drag shows and cannabis lounges anytime soon, but it would be a sight to behold once it happens. Fingers crossed. Well, with COVID still raging throughout the U.S. and international travel being heavily restricted, Laganja's usual activities have been put on hold, but I wanted to know whether she has anything in the pipeline while we wait for the pandemic to pass. Well, I do have a new weekly YouTube series called Muse Me, which drops every Monday at 4.20 p.m. And this is a behind-the-scenes of projects that I work on with my collaborator, Robert Heyman. 
He is a photographer, a makeup artist, a stylist. The list goes on and on. So basically, this each episode, you see us talk about what we're going to do, how we're going to create it. Then you see us create it. Then you see him do my makeup. Then you see him shoot me. And at the very end, you see the final product, which is the photos. So this has been a really exciting project that we started during quarantine that we've really committed to. We've already released six episodes. And as I said, on Monday at 420, we'll be dropping episode seven. So definitely hope people can go and check that out. I also have a live streaming show, which follows that every Monday at 6 p.m. with Top Tree and my dear friend Adam Ill. Our show is called Misters and Marys. So it is all about straight and gay, getting the two different perspectives, how we can meet in the middle. We have a segment called Bro Fabulary, where he gives me a word from his community. I give him a word from my community. We also end each and every episode with a TikTok toke. So I teach Adam how to dance. So it's a it's a great little live show that I'm really proud of and I think is going to develop into a much larger conversation. So basically Mondays are the new it day, honey. If you want to look for some fun, tune into Laganja's platforms for Monday content every week. Well, if you're running desperately low on drag queen smoking doobies, you now know where to get your fix online. So, any advice for aspiring drag performers or up-and-coming ganjapreneurs? Um, I think the best advice I can give is to be yourself, to be kind, and to commit to working hard in all aspects of life. So the only reason I am where I am today is because my parents instilled with me from a very young age determination and commitment. And they basically always taught me that when you sign up for a project, you must see it all the way through, no matter if you don't like your boss, if it turns out bad. And so I have this real sense of loyalty. And so I think that being loyal to yourself first and foremost is the best advice I've ever received, to be kind to yourself, to forgive yourself, because as cheesy as it may be, RuPaul says it best, if you can't love yourself, then you can't love someone else. And I think if you can't love yourself and you can't love someone else, then you can't really be creative in whatever industry you want to go. So, you know, specifically to speak to my friends in the drag industry, I would say to start cheap. Don't buy a bunch of expensive wigs and and clothing because at the end of the day, anyone can be glamorous and beautiful and made to look like a piece of cake. Um, But it takes a special person to have a personality and something behind their character. So I always tell newbies to focus on their character, focus on their performance, how they move their mouth when they're lip syncing, small details that are actually able to focus on as opposed to the exterior. And then when it comes to my friends in the cannabis industry, my best advice would be to get a Moose Labs mouthpiece to protect your health, to... um, I just think the cannabis industry, there's a lot of ideas of what it's supposed to be as opposed to what it can be. So my best advice to those who are trying to get into the industry is to look in many different places. Don't just go to one main source. For instance, I'm just gonna throw this out there. Sorry guys, high times. Don't just go to the big name, go to these smaller industries. Look at other influencers who are in the business and 
find your own path. I really, really do believe there is room for everyone in the cannabis industry and the drag industry, but it's all about finding your own path and having a unique voice, which kind of, again, ties me back to my original idea of being kind to yourself and being loyal to what it is you do. So that's kind of a summation, I guess, if I had to give people advice. So remember, kids, consistency and dedication to yourself. The rest will follow. So where do we go if we want to contact Laganja? I am at Laganja Astranja on all platforms, except for TikTok, which is the only Laganja Astranja. And sadly, the time has come to bid our esteemed guest adieu. Jay Jackson, a.k.a. Laganja Astranja. Thank you for the wonderful chat. It's It's been such a blast uh, talking to you. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, good luck with all your projects. Hopefully I'll uh, see you on stage or some catwalk or maybe some cannabis convention someday somewhere out there once travel restrictions are, uh, are lifted after COVID. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for amplifying my voice. I look forward to sharing a big old blunt with you soon. You just listened to episode 48 of the Critical Grass podcast. Only two more to go till we officially reach our midlife crisis. A massive thank you once again to Laganja Estranja for the enlightening and highly entertaining conversation. Never thought I'd say this, but I look forward to the next drag race. If you would like to support the show other than spiritually, you can head on over to patreon.com slash criticalgrass and become a subscriber, or you can make a donation on the Critical Grass website via PayPal. Our agents are standing by. We have another exciting episode coming up very soon, so stay tuned. My name, as always, is Bogdan. Sashay, shantay, my friends. Peace. Peace.